Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Guy Berry is the COO for Redirect Health, a Phoenix-based organization built on the foundations of exceptional customer service and revolutionizing truly affordable healthcare for everyone. A cowboy at heart, Guy was raised in Texas with education from Baylor and a master's from UNT. He journeyed through the plains to the desert while leading teams with Target and Concerta Healthcare, or Concerta United Health, uh, landing at Redirect Health for the past six years, where Guy grew from the director of operations to COO and along the way came to the realization to choose true happiness. Guy is also one of the founding members of the COO Alliance, and uh, Guy's CEO, David Berg, is actually a close friend of mine. So I'm looking forward to this, um, this chat with you today. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're welcome. So why don't you um, give us a little bit of the tour as to how you got from, I guess, kind of starting at Redirect Health into where you are today. Yeah. So um, again, thanks for thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, the, the big start for me came from uh, a conversation with uh, Dave Berg. And really, it started with who I was as a leader, what I was trying to do. And he basically did the uh, typical entrepreneur way and took me in and whiteboarded for like two or three hours one afternoon and basically just gave me his vision of the company for the next few years and probably even gave me his 10-year vision and basically said, have I scared you away? Um, and so I, I, it just made me more exciting. I said, you know, no, I, I want to join this team. This seems, this you just made it even more exciting because I thought you wanted me to just join your average running a clinic, you know, a health clinic company. And, uh, once he gave me that vision, it just, it was, it was truly something inspiring. So, um, joined the team as a director of operations where it was more about, Hey, this company had just expanded to multiple locations, needing help trying to understand how to uh, manage those boundaries and manage just overall culture between multiple locations. And, uh, and then from there, I've just always kind of grown as the company's grown and, um, and then now serve as a COO. And that's been a six-year journey um, coming up to that aspect. Why don't you, yeah, give us a bit of a scope as to the size of Redirect Health and Arrowhead Health Centers that you've been running. And also, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about what Redirect Health does. Yeah, so um, Redirect is, is kind of made up of uh, two organizations right now, Arrowhead Health Centers and Redirect Health. And Arrowhead Health Centers is your standard medical clinics with doctors, chiropractors, uh, providing, uh, you know, treatment for family practice, pain management, uh, all throughout the uh, Phoenix and Maricopa Valley. Um, that has four locations. And within our clinic side of the business, um, roughly, you know, 120 employees. And then Redirect Health, kind of ventured from Arrowhead Health Centers and is more on the health plan side of the business. So now we are providing health care to individuals, uh, families, as well as through companies um, so that people can have uh, easy and truly affordable health care access um, in the system. Awesome. So, okay. So you, you guys are, are kind of revolutionizing part of the healthcare space right now. And David is a classic entrepreneur. How do you get on the same page or stay on the same page as he is with his vision and how do you, um, I guess, save David or protect David from himself along the way as well, where, where they have the, you know, entrepreneurs tend to have the entrepreneurial seizures and they have the, the great idea of the week. How do you help him, um, you save him from himself as well? Well, yeah, <clears throat> what's interesting is I 
think over it's, I would say it's taken almost six years to, you know, really almost five, five and a half years to really develop that relationship. And I, and I think that part of that comes from uh, the observation that I would have is that entrepreneurs can sometimes be a little guarded of who they let fully in to uh, understanding who they are. And I think that comes from uh, they, that maybe a little bit of a fear that people, once they're in, can see some of the, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and all the other things. And so um, it takes a little time to kind of break those walls down. But um, one of the pieces that I, that I think is important is just trust. And, and you're building that trust over the years and, and understanding that you're really there for each other. Um, and, and knowing that, you know, really becomes a relationship that's more so than just, um, you know, hey, I saw you between eight to five, Monday through Friday. I mean, you're truly there for each other on anything you need. Um, and that, and that's where you build that trust and that relationship so that, you know, he, he can trust in confiding something. I mean, once you have that trust, he can bring in the ideas, the other, some of the chaos that can come in and really it's not so much, I, I don't believe it's really saving themselves from them or, or really managing those issues with them directly. It's more about teaching everybody else around you um, how to interact and be, and be prepared for the different pieces. And so I find that when, if I were to try to uh, do anything with, with him, it's going to be behind closed doors, right? Like after a meeting, hey, I saw this, this is what I heard. Um, you might want to tone it down. You kind of, you know, that maybe wasn't the right way to go about this in the crowd of people. Um, but then really when you're talking to the group of people, you're, you're letting them know, like when they come to you and they say, Hey, um, this is what I heard in a meeting. And he said, we've got this new product and, it, and we're going to launch it in two weeks. And I wasn't even aware we were doing it. And I'm going, okay, well, let's break it down. Like one, what's the new product? What does he want to do? What do you, you know, what is the actual ramifications we're talking about here? And you just get people out of their emotion. And really that's what it is, right? People get their emotion just you know, at a high point. And so then now you're just managing that emotion down. But the biggest is just teaching people that he's going to have great ideas, right? And I think that's the hard piece is that you have to understand he's okay to have a thousand ideas and have 999 of them, you know, fail because he's that one that's just so good that launches. He's okay with that. And so you got to realize that everybody else can't then suffer every time there's a failure. They have to be yeah. like, no, I'm good for this ride. And you, you started with something that was really key, which was that development of trust. Um, I think it's really core or key for the CEO and the COO to have that huge trust between them. So how have you built the trust between the two of you um, over the years? What, you know, are there any actions or any specific systems or things that you've done to build trust in the relationship between you and Dave? Um, so I think that where the trust came from is more in the aspect of, me being completely open with him so that he never has to feel like there's a, hit, a hidden agenda. So if I'm unhappy, right? Like normal, let's take the normal employee and manager relationship. They're going to go, Hey, I'm not happy. So they go look for another job and they're gone. Um, for me, it's, I'm going to sit with him and say, Hey, I'm not happy. I'm not going to go apply for another job. I'm going to talk to you and you and I figure out, should I, if, if our relationship's not working out, is it best for me to go somewhere? And I'd rather us agree on the next steps for me than me go figure that out myself. And mm -hmm. when you have that conversation, it's like, okay, he's, get, he's not worried that you're, you know, constantly 
going to get, you know, somewhere else or poached or lose, lose, you know, the game because you didn't want to play in it. And so really it's about that conversation with him. And that's, that's honestly what's really been the best of our relationship. It's funny. I've seen it so many times over the years where the CEO is always worried their second in command is going to quit. And the second in command is always worried the CEO is going to fire them. And the reality is if they could both get on the same page, they'd realize they're there forever. It's this, it's this strange I think it's a real huge desire to to make all of the hard work actually pay off and neither one of them wants to lose out or um but they don't know how to express that and get vulnerable with each other and open up with that. So you you encountered something you and I were talking the other day cuz I held an offsite over at your offices and we were talking about um some of the growth that you've had as the second in command and working with Dave. What were some of those insights that you had that have helped you in the relationship with the CEO now? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the insight of just realizing all of what that entrepreneur somebody can bring to the company and to your relationship. So an example is they typically have a network of people that they have built over the years, whether it's through uh, entrepreneur organization, whether it's through um, YPO or it's you know some other private organization or even just their friends in the community. And really having access to that network is key but also never being afraid to let them access that network. So for example, if they say, hey, I want to bring in this person who's going to advise us on operations, I can't go, man, that kind of offends me. Are you saying that operations isn't working well? Like, why are you bringing Mm. this person in? Instead, I go, that's awesome. Let's get another point of view in here because another point of view can only make us better, right? Because I'm only only as good as so much. So I have no reason to be upset to bring in other people. And so knowing that that network is there and accessing is a huge kind of piece that I kind of had to change. And even in my own mindset, because there'd be times that you bring in an expert, you, your first reaction is I'm now offended that I must not be doing a good job. Or I start to worry like, man, am I going to get fired versus, oh no, he just found another person and thought, why wouldn't I bring this person in to help us? Because any other person that can help us get our mission one step forward is always a good thing. So why should we ever be worried about that? So are you, are you guys building that kind of a mindset throughout the leadership team at Redirect Health? Definitely. And that's one thing that's really grown over the last probably 12 months is really looking at outside experts as another opportunity to you know, in, influence us on in the path forward. So one of the things that you like to say, and, and, I, and, I, and I believe it's in your double, double book, is the, um, the, just the leader can only go so far, right, and survive so many doubles. And I think that that's where I go, okay, then what other tools or accesses do we, can we bring in so that we can help these leaders handle growth and handle other things. And I think for our team, it's, that's the biggest kind of eye opening piece is, Hey, um, when we, as we grow, we're going to need help. So let's, let's, you know, seek it out and never really, you know, try to shut our doors to it. And I think as a leadership team, when you open up to that aspect, um, then everybody becomes, you know, really it's a, it's a learning and growing opportunity versus just trying to spin your wheels. Right. Yeah, totally. You guys had to go through something that not a lot of companies have to go through. And that was around, um, I'm going to guess around two and a half years ago, uh, as a company, you decided to start the redirect health brands. And that was second to the Arrowhead health and Arrowhead, I guess had been running for probably 15, 17 years. What was it like in starting off a second brand and a second company? How did that, um, 
you know, what level of confusion and frustration did that throw into the company and how did you solve that or get through that? So I've always said that a person can only sit on one toilet at a time. And when you try to sit on one more than one toilet, it gets kind of messy. How did you guys get around that, um, that strategy or that, that problem? Yeah, I, I would say, um, at first it was like sitting on two toilets. Um, and so it was a little messy, but, um, you know, I, part of it is, the culture, and, and I'll stick with that because one of the key things that we saw was we started Redirect Health, and, and just to kind of give a perspective of that start, Airwood Health Centers uh, had gone self-funded and was managing its own healthcare on its own, and basically ownership of our company, Dr. Berg and other people were just saying, "Hey, look, you know, we're gonna we're gonna own our own healthcare and manage our people's healthcare better than an insurance company could." And when they did it, we saved money every year. Every year we were saving money on healthcare. And so what happened is essentially other people said, hey, can you help me? And we redirect was born from that. Like, let's go help some other companies because we can't just be the only people um, really leveraging healthcare to actually not only save money, but then improve the recruiting, improve the retention, all kinds of other aspects of the business. And so when redirect started, it was kind of like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's start it. This is something to jump on. And we started the, the, in the beginning. The struggle was we were using Arrowhead resources to launch redirect. So mm -hmm. then what happens is you start pulling some of your resources and then Arrowhead starts to take a little hit because it's going, hey, all these people, your accounting, your marketing, your sales, it's being pulled in this other direction. And so you start to have people working and you know using two different hats. So eventually we, we came to the conclusion we have to separate them. We can't just kind of have them blended between the two. So then we separated them. We had our actual team that was the redirect team, our actual team that's the Arrowhead team. And the, the kind of pitfalls that I say you kind of have to watch for is we started having um, little things that would affect your culture. So one being HR, human resources would say, I'm firing this person from Arrowhead Health Centers to hire them over here at Redirect Health. And we're going, no, we're all one company. I know it's two different companies, but when you use terms like I'm firing or terming them over here so that I can hire them over here, people look at them as two separate entities. And, and now I'm creating two separate cultures. And so we had to look for those little aspects where people started going, well, I want to go work for this other company. Well, no, it's not another company, right? Because then it became, well, I'll give my two-week notice at Redirect because I'm going to go work over at Arrowhead. And it's like, okay, well, that, that's not how it works. And so what happened is you got two distinct with the companies, but now you have people viewing them two separately. So then we had to kind of almost, in a way, have two companies, but then one brand. So it's essentially that's what unified all is that we said, okay, the brand is redirect health. We have our redirect health plan side of the business and we have our redirect clinic side of the business that's going to continue to operate as Arrowhead Health Centers. But our brand is redirect health. And once we picked one brand, it, it got rid of the two separate company kind of feel and then brought us in kind of unified. And then that was kind of started the wheels in motion to kind of everything else that's happened over the last probably two years. It's interesting because when I was first chatting with David over a, probably a golf game about three years ago, my suggestion was to completely split them and run them as two totally separate companies and then put teams in place for each. What was it that had you guys decide to do that differently and to start to merge them both back together or merge them together? Yeah, I think what I think the biggest the the biggest struggle was if you have two separate 
kind of teams, you're going to get two separate cultures, you're going to get two separate other things, and you start to get a little nervous of, of that aspect. So when we brought them together, all we really centralized was the main centralized leadership. So your strategy, your vision, your, you know, some marketing, some accounting, your finance, and those key aspects then can blend, especially your operations, blend into the culture. So you still have a leadership team who's responsible for this business, the redirect health plan side, and you have a leadership team that's responsible for their way. So really they are in an essence, their own companies. And it's mm. almost kind of like the other leadership team is more the advisory board, even though really we're the executive team that's helping those two entities. And so when you look at it in that aspect, now we are providing vision strategy and influencing those companies, but letting them operate on their own, that's when you can kind of leverage it in a different aspect. So I think that's probably the unique aspect of it. It's really about one brand, you know, but it's not necessarily like we're one company, if you will. How did, how did you grow through this transition? I mean, over the last three years, you've grown a ton as a leader. How, what, um, I guess, what areas have you focused yourself on growing and what areas do you, do you kind of look back and go, wow, I really grew? Like, did you, were there any areas that you specifically tried to get better in? And were there any areas that uh, on hindsight you saw yourself get better in just by, I guess, by osmosis? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is when I, when I started as a director of operations, I had so many views of what leadership is and pretty much majority of those are gone out the window over the last six years. And then, um, I really came in really where it started was I joined the CEO Alliance with you and really started kind of, um, learning from other COOs and when you, you don't get a perspective of what other second in commands are dealing with. So you really think you're on an island. You think like nobody else can see what's happening behind the scenes like I can and, and nobody's dealing with what I'm dealing with or, you know, nobody's going home at night with all the pressure of a company on their shoulders. And then you start talking to all these other people and you're like, wow, we are literally all in the same boat. And yeah. um, so really that started me thinking differently. And then mm -hmm. from there, I think the biggest probably one of the biggest game changers for me is, um, you know, focusing on that unique ability. And one of the things you kind of talk about is getting stuff off your plate that maybe you're, you know, you're not motivated to do, right? Or, you, you know, this brings no real value to what it is so you can offload it. And um, I think for me, it was, if you think about like an athlete, right? Or um, let's take a golfer, because a golfer is a great example. They're not, they're, they're going to practice chipping, they're going to practice driving, but the big key there is they practice. They practice a lot. And if you just plan on just being a leader and you try to just do a, just a crap ton of just learning or whatever and just be a, a blanketed good leader, you're probably going to fail because you don't know where to focus. But if I know that what my unique ability is, and so over the last couple of years, what I focused on is I seem to have a unique ability on um, really just being very observant. So if I walk into a room or I'm in a meeting, I can observe who maybe isn't really happy or who's not really enjoying this meeting. Or maybe I'm observing like this employee doesn't look happy or it's a, it's a sentence that I see on our company Slack that somebody posts. I'm like, oh, that kind of seems kind of off. All of those little key moments I've always had in my head, but then I never really took action on them. And so now I've, now when I focused on, I'm going to take action on So I see somebody upset. I go grab them later and go, Hey, it didn't seem like you're too happy. Let's talk. No, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. Something's going on. Let's go talk. And so yeah. it's, it's really just 
letting that that feeling and just making sure to go after it. And so then I leverage it. How can I help other people? So if I'm in a meeting or if I hear something, I see something, I can go pull that person aside and go, hey, I think you might have offended this person. You might want to follow back up with them. And they go, really? You think I did? I, it's just an observation of what I saw and their facial reaction and the way you talked. And maybe you might want to circle back with them. And then I find out later, like, oh man, thanks for letting me know that. They, they definitely were offended in that meeting. And I appreciate that. So that unique ability is something I focused on more over the years and especially in the last couple. And so that that's what has been my focus and going, I'm going to practice that every day. Right. So it's, it's a constant practice and realizing that I've got to get there. And I think that's the, the piece that I know that with leadership, you have to understand that it is about practicing and practicing and truly just changing your mindset on a lot of things, because that, that is only the way to get better over the years. So your your attitude towards leadership and towards your role t- seems to be a lot of it is related to people and related to communication and related to, um, uh, um, I guess, kind of the, what, what would people would call the soft skills of leadership, but you seem to be really strong there versus, I guess, a lot of people sit down and focus on the systems or processes. So um, is that accurate, do you think? The, yeah. Yeah. I, I would, yeah, I would definitely say that's accurate. And I mean, you know, for me, I, I can, I can go whiteboard a process and sit with people and we can figure out, in fact, after our call today, I've got a whole afternoon scheduled to kind of work through some process stuff and, and we can identify it. But it, even in that same unique ability, right, I'm going to notice little things where I go, hey, maybe this is off or maybe we can do this a little bit better. But I'm always going to try to say, I know that I'm not good at developing a process from ground zero. That is not going to yeah. be my, my, my passion. It's not going to be my success. But if you bring me 80% of it, I can try to leverage the things that maybe you're not thinking about or looking at in the right way. Or maybe I see something just differently than you and I'll help get through that. But yeah, I definitely believe that. Um, and I, and I, I think with operations and culture, um, probably the, um, the soft skills are probably a little bit more important in those aspects than some of the hard skills. And that's why I think probably I've focused on those more so in the last years. And also I've got a, an entrepreneur in, in Dave that he created so many processes to the detail that really he, he doesn't need somebody to come in and create more processes. He needs somebody mm-hmm. who's watching them and saying, who are the right people to carry out those processes? Yeah. Dave's an anomaly in, in the entrepreneurial world. I mean, he's a, he's a physician, so he's a doctor and then a, um, and an entrepreneur. Um, but he, he's very process minded. I think even his Colby profile, do you remember what his Colby profile is? His numbers? No, I can't remember that one. Pretty, his first two numbers were pretty high. I think he's something like a yeah. seven, seven, eight, four, five, or, or four, two, or something. So he's a fairly low quick start. Most entrepreneurs are high quick starts. David actually really does develop a lot of the systems and SOPs. And you're right. I think that that's yep. the last thing the company needs is another person to be doing that. So it's interesting that you guys have found that real nice balance. Dave also spends a lot of time and money on his own personal development. So he's a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization. He's a member of um, Strategic Coach, and he's also in the um, uh, the highest level of Strategic Coach now. He's also in in the 100K group from the Genius Network. So David's probably spending. Uh, he goes. He's going to Abundance 360 with me in January. I think he's probably spending 160 thousand dollars this year on his own personal development and networks, which is extraordinary. He's spending 20 thousand plus on you just to be in the COO Alliance. What is it about? about the outside learning that David believes in and um, is there anything specifically you've pulled out of the CO Alliance this year that you think has helped you with your growth or that you will help you over the next year? Yeah. I mean, for, you know, what's interesting is 
<laughs> when somebody hears like, oh, Dave's part of strategic coach or part of EO or part of any of these kind of pieces, it's real easy for somebody to go to, well, that's nice that he can go pay to keep developing himself. Right. And that's great that he gets to do that. But what's interesting is I had a talk with him and we were sitting there talking about strategic coach, I believe it was. And he goes, I, I just feel like I'm, I just, I've learned so much in the last 15 years, you know, being a part of the strategic coach that I just want to give everything I'm learning and teach people so that they can have access to all this knowledge that I've had. So then you flip it and you realize, no, he's doing all this because the more he does this, the more he can help grow and develop the other leaders around him. And he mm-hmm. truly uses, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, if, if this was a video call, you'd see that I have, you know, our scorecard right here by me. And our scorecard is, you know, a tool from the strategic coach that we use. And, um, and so we have all kinds of things that he has influenced his company through all those pieces. So really, truly, that's not an investment on himself. He is spending that money on an investment in the leadership for this organization. And so it's been huge that he's taking the time to do that. And I think that's what helps all of us as on the leadership team take our level another step up. Because as long as he's helping keep raising the ceiling, he's helping raise us another notch. And then with the COO Alliance, I think the biggest piece that, you know, that I've had really that came from that was, which is interesting is I hadn't had a work event where you really step out of the office probably in, in a long time. Like I've had a few over the years, but nothing like this to where I stepped out and then you take a couple of days to reflect. Also, you're, you know, you're there, you're, you're learning some things. But what I realized was I'm just going to work myself to death. I'm just going to just plug away and just grow and then look back at my life and be like, wow, that was great. I'm so glad I plugged away all those years of my life, you know? And so I, I realized like, you know, you have to focus on what are you doing to truly be happy? So even in the intro talking about choosing to be happy, it's choosing to just say like, what am I doing today? And I'm not going to let negativity bring me down because I don't have time for it. I mean, I, I want to enjoy life. And so the biggest takeaway I've had from the CEO Alliance is that everybody feels that way. Everybody mm-hmm. doesn't want to just be plugging away in these fast-paced entrepreneurial organizations to come home with a frown on their face and have to be with their family. Like they want to be happy and enjoy what they're doing. And most of us were inspired by the entrepreneur at some point. And then at some point probably got just slammed in the mess of what a growing entrepreneur company is. And we might forget that little inspiration, we might forget something. And so take the time to just go, you know what, I'm just happy to be a part of this ride. It's going to have ups and downs like any roller coaster. But man, I have a seat on it. And once you kind of get that reflection, I think that's where, you know, I've had probably the the biggest takeaway from the CEO Alliance. That's huge. Um, It's funny, you mentioned that David is really focused on all of the learning that he gets in these different groups that he's a member of and then how he takes that learning back to grow his team. How are you focused on growing your direct reports? I've always believed that that a leader's job is to grow people. So what are you doing to grow your team? Yeah. So, you know, the, the biggest piece that, that I try to leverage when I'm, when I'm um, growing my team is really about um, in the conversations I have with them. So, you know, it's that, it's that aspect of, choosing the appropriate words, right? And, and making sure that um, you understand the ramifications of the incorrect words. So one of the things that I notice as a leader is your team will come to you and they have a problem. 
And right away, they've already got the solution. And right away, they've got the next five steps. And so it's teaching them to take a breath and go, let's just look at the problem. Is that truly the problem before we even get to the solutions and the next steps? But then also, what we'll find is so many times I see this, your team goes, well, so-and-so told me this is an issue. Okay, so you haven't had direct knowledge that that was truly an issue. Well, no. So we're going to go spend four hours creating a solution on something we haven't even gotten direct knowledge of. Yet when you came to me, you said this is a problem. So the words I heard is you've already done the research, figured it out. It's a problem. We're going to do it. But really, you've got hearsay that this is a problem and we need to go back. And so it's, if you come to me and you say, hey, so-and-so told me this is a problem, now we can look at it from that view, right? And that's that's what I talk about. Is I, I really want people to be important with their words because it's so easy to have somebody come to you and say, you know, we we have such an issue with customer complaints at this location. Great, why? We've had three complaints in the last week. Okay, awesome. How many positive com- uh, comments have we had? Oh, well, we've had a hundred. So we've had a hundred positive compliments, and we've got three negative ones. And you told me we have a huge problem. Well, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about on the aspect of our company on how big of a problem that is. I I get it. We want to attack those three, and let's make sure we have solutions. But it's teaching people that, and I think that's that's just the emotion of the day to day work, right? You just get bogged down. All of a sudden, something gets told it's a problem, and no, it's a really big issue. And then you find out it's happened three times in the last three months. Okay, well, is that really that big of an issue? And so that's what I I think that's the biggest thing I try to instill with uh, our leadership team. What's your Colby profile? Do you remember? Oh man, I don't remember. You'll have to look don't it remember up. Yours either? Okay. No. Um, my, my gut is that your first number is quite high, like a seven or an eight. Yes. Yeah. My first number is, is high. I remember that. Okay. So that would, that would call you as you're a high fact finder, which means you tend to ask a lot of questions before you start things, yeah. which is a massive skill that you're actually leveraging right now that before you take an idea and run with it or a problem and, and try to solve it, you actually ask a number of questions to truly understand it. And it's also helping your team to truly understand the issue before you necessarily, like you just pointed out, like, great, we have a big problem with, with customer service. And until all of a sudden you realize, no, we don't have a problem at all. We're actually crushing it with a hundred positive comments and three negatives. Maybe, maybe we can just get right. back to work. Um, walk me through, you guys have done something on, and I don't remember what it's called, but it's like an employee handbook. What, yes. what so is we, that tool and how did you, how did you guys develop it and how do you use it? Yeah. So we have the storybook and the storybook is essentially capturing your, um, your core values, your mission, your purpose, and then it takes it another step. So there's books out there. There's other tools that people use where they capture their core values or their purpose in some type of way. And what we did is we took that and then took it a step further, which is really speaks to um, kind of Dave's mindset of taking that process and really clearly defining it. And so then it takes us into the customer journey. So the customer is going to have a touch point with every single employee through the organization, starting with marketing, who's going to market in sales, who gets the customer in, to um, the people who talk to them on the phones, the people they interact with every day in the clinics or on the phones, to the providers, to check out, to your billing team, to your accounting team, to everybody else. So in every single one of those touch points, we created basically a page in our book for that touch point and said, what are the three to five things that influence the customer in a positive way? And so it's not a how to do your job, right? Because, you know, you have those types of training materials and other things. This isn't going to say this is how you do your job. This is 
if I do these three to five things, I will have a positive impact on the customer. And so everything's written in that aspect of putting the customer first. And so as you go through and you journey through the book, you can realize, hey, each one of these people, if they do these things, the customer is going to leave with an amazing story. But then you teach everybody, read the page before your page and the page after it, because that handoff is extremely important. So I know if the person comes to me at checkout and they say, hey, I have another question. Well, I know on the medical assistant page before checkout, it says, make sure that the patient doesn't have any more questions. And so if they come to checkout and ask for more questions, we didn't do that. So, hey, we, we didn't do that piece before they got to checkout. So even knowing the other steps, you can raise a hand and go, hey, by the way, we missed this on this part of the customer journey. So that storybook just captures all of that customer journey, our vision, our values, and then in a, in a nice, easy tool that every single person can have access to. Interesting. I love it. Um, walk me through the um, the different meeting rhythms that you're using right now inside your company. Again, I was there a couple of weeks ago running my strategic planning meeting from one of your spaces and um, you ran a daily huddle while I was there. What are some of the other meeting rhythms that you do and walk us through the daily huddle that you do too? Yeah, so we're doing the kind of quarterly offsite kind of just leadership team, executive leadership team breaking away doing um, you know, kind of planning, strategic, how our quarter is going, annual meeting. Those pieces are happening offsite. And then uh, we're utilizing the AZ Growth Advisors, Arizona Growth Advisors, who are gazelles and part of Fern Harnish's scaling up um, piece. And so we're using that for kind of our quarterly uh, piece. Then we have um, the next is going to be our weekly meetings. And on the weekly meetings, we're using the agenda, the level 10 meeting from EOS Traction. And so we're going to use the level 10 meeting where we're going to uh, basically go over some weekly KPIs, some good news. Um, we're also going to go over any customer and employee headlines and then dive into um, <clears throat> the issues and then identify and solve those issues on a weekly basis. Um, and then daily we're going to have the daily huddle, which we really leverage from talking with you. And so um, that that piece, we kind of started probably um, about eight months ago. And what was interesting is when we started the daily huddle, we started specifically because people didn't feel like our culture was really strong and they didn't feel there was great communication. And so when we originally started it, we as leaders felt there are so many good things happening in the organization, yet the employees aren't feeling it or seeing it. And so with that daily touch point, we're able to highlight all these awesome things that are going by looking at some quick KPIs that are happening every day, but also bringing up high fives where people just boost each other up every day and just say, hey, thank you. Um, and that has just been the biggest probably culture shift for us in the last few months is that, is that daily huddle. Interesting. Um, and I like that you're actually pulling different systems from different groups. You mentioned that you're pulling the level 10 meeting from Traction. You're pulling... Uh, the quarterly planning meetings from gazelles, you're pulling um, the daily huddle from from my work and, and what I wrote in the book, Meetings Suck. Um, I love that you're actually pulling kind of the systems and iterating and making them your own as well, because there's not going to be one program or one system that works for every company. You've just got to take pieces and iterate and make them work. Have you had yep. any pushback from any of your employees on the daily huddle? And, and how did you get past that if you did? Yeah, in the beginning... Definitely when you're launching. So anybody who's going to launch a daily huddle, you're going to hear the first thing you hear is we don't have, we're too busy during our day to do this. Like we don't have time to go take out 
five minutes to do a daily huddle. But it, but really what that, what they're really saying is I don't understand the purpose or vision or why this is important. And so if you, if you truly outline that our piece was, we just said, Hey, let's do it. Everybody's going to be in it. And, and we, we kind of, probably muscled our way through it more so than we needed to meaning like we made every huddle just so much fun and exciting that people wanted to be there um and that's kind of how we got them initially excited about it i think the better piece would have been like no don't you want to take five minutes to just give somebody a high five and a huddle and tell them how great job and things like that and, and so there was probably some vision that we could have done better in the beginning but once we once we got it rolling and people saw the impact more people and more people wanted to be a part of it. And we didn't want to, we didn't want to have a culture of like, Hey, you will be at the huddle or you are a bad person. Right. We wanted it to be about like, no, you should want to be at the huddle because it's a part of who we are. And um, definitely with like our new hires, a lot of the new hires um, love it because they're in, they're in the huddle and they're seeing it and they're going and we introduce them in the huddle. Here's the new people, welcome them and say high five and all these things. And so they're going, this is awesome. I want to be a part of this every day it's the people who've been working for your company for six years you've never been in a huddle that are a little harder because they're going i haven't seen the impact i haven't seen you know the positivity of it and so definitely those are the harder people to get buy-in but we got it over time it took months probably and then more and more everybody's got buy-in the last piece that we're just working on right now is you know utilizing kind of to your words utilize if you're in a meeting or if you have something going on you utilize that as a time to show people how great our culture is so pause the meeting. Hey, I've got Hodo right now. Let's go out and let's see it. And then you can even recognize the people who are in your meeting with you. If they're outside vendors, hey, these are the people who are meeting with us. And everyone go, oh, that's awesome. And hey, high five to them. And so then now it creates this culture to them where they're going, wow, this person paused our meeting to go have that huddle. And even we got recognized in it. Um, so that's kind of the next kind of big step for us is to make sure because I think that's the hard piece for people right now is they'll have a meeting and they haven't stepped out for the huddle. Yeah, I love that when when you have um, you know interviews happening, the interview stops and everybody goes to huddle. Or if you've got some business meeting happening, even with outside customers or suppliers that are in your office, they, that meeting stops and everybody goes to huddle. I love that you kind of pull everyone together for it. So how many how many employees do you guys have at your head office right now? Yeah, so the head office, um, which is really the redirect side of the business, we're at 80. So we had 120 in the clinics and then 80 on the other side. So about 200 total between the two companies. And, and all 80 people the other day came to huddle virtually. I mean, there was almost nobody sitting at their phone or their desk. Like they all just showed up and participated and they were there for, is it a seven minute huddle that you run at? We try to do it in seven minutes. And um, we, we, in the beginning, we timed it and we had a timer that went off. And I'd say we stayed pretty good on it. Then we got lazy and stopped using the timer. And I think our meetings started getting to like 10 to 11 minutes to sometimes 15 um, until the employees started complaining that we were having too long of huddles. So yep. uh, we're going to get back to just using the timer to make sure to kind of cut us off so we don't go, get too long-winded. Yeah, it works well. Um, about a year ago, you were struggling in your role as COO. You were really going through a transition period um, in your role. I think part of it might have also been personal. You just had a baby or your wife had just had a baby. And so you were, you know, you're in that sleepless phase of adulthood. Um, how did you walk Still us there. through what, yeah, yeah, right. what was going on? Um, what was going on for you back then? And how did you transition? Cause you've come full circle and I heard some rave reviews from Dave Berg about you, um, just about a month ago as well. So what's, what happened in the last year? Yeah. So it's a, the biggest thing I can say is it's a mind shift kind of change and, you know, in, in an organization and even just, um, 
in life, you're going to have all types of obstacles. And, and I've had some heavy obstacles in my life. Um, I had uh, my only brother who uh, took his life when I was 15, um, and he had battled uh, osteogenesis imperfecta, which is a, a brittle bone disease, for years until he died. And then later in life, you know, you I had my father pass away. I go through a divorce. And, uh, and, and literally at that point in my life, um, I had just started working with Arrowhead. And I had just gone through a divorce, just lost my father and just had a lot of stuff going on. And, and wow. so I kind of almost reinvented myself then and uh, just, you know, who I wanted to be. And, and that aspect, you know, was just plug my nose to the grind and work as hard as I could. And that's what I did. And I just worked as hard as I could. And I, and, and I, I know um, Dave appreciated that, that I was working as hard as I could. But then about a year ago, now I'm remarried, I've got a baby. I can't keep putting my nose to grind and working everything I got and then try to go home and have a smile on my face. And yeah. I think what happened is I realized like to keep doing this, I'm, I'm going to burn out. And it's, and I really had burnt out. Like it was past that point. And so now that I've burnt out, it's I either go find another way or another Avenue. And the talk was really like, what do I do? And as, through talking with Dave, what I realized a lot of what I needed was reassurance from him that, um, that he thought I was doing a good job, but then also that the failures when the company doesn't do well, that he wasn't looking at me going, gosh, guy, you're doing a bad job. It was, what are we as leaders or what are even I as the owner doing? And can we get that fixed? So it's, so every day that I went home going, man, this happened. That was bad. This employee was upset over this or all these things. I was carrying so much weight that I didn't need mm. to carry. So sure. that took a load off. Yeah. That took a load off my shoulders right there. And then from that aspect, I went into um, really just waking up every day and, and choosing to just be happy. And I think, you know, also understanding that you can get the same amount of work done with a different type of attitude. And so meaning really I can plug away all day and get this done and just be like, wow, I got this project done. Great. Or I can sing a song and listen to some music and enjoy what I'm doing so that at the end of the day, when I finish that project, I'm like, man, this has been a great day. I'm going to go home. And so that's just been a mind shift change of just enjoy what you do because honestly, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then, then you're, might as well get out of it. And I enjoyed what I was doing. I was just working myself to the bone in the wrong ways. So it's just refocusing my mind to other ways of how to do the job so that I'm not just, you know, plugging away all the time, which was grow the team around you, grow the culture around you, make small little influences where you can, but focus on, again, kind of what I talked about, focus on whatever your unique ability is and use that to help the organization. Um, and, and know that what's the purpose? What are you getting up for every day? I mean, I get up and come to this job because we are truly trying to do something remarkable with healthcare. That's exciting for me. And so if I, if I truly believe in that, then I can be happy with anything I do. Dave could, I know he could go ask me, will you just go clean the bathroom? I'm like, all right, let's go clean the bathroom. Like, I don't care because like, I'm happy, man. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. It's awesome. I love that you say you can just choose to sing another song. I've always said that we're going to ride a roller coaster and our, um, our options are either to hold on and scream in terror or to ride the same up and down roller coaster and wave our arms in the air and have a good time. But either way, we've got to ride the roller coaster. You've, um, you've found a way just to go into work and enjoy it and stay focused, but not make it your, um, not take on the weight of the entire company, which is huge. So you, you may have actually answered my final question, which is what's, what's a word of advice that you would give kind of all of our emerging leaders or any of your current leaders 
um, that are listening right now, what, what word of advice would you give them that you wish you'd known when you were a lot younger starting out in your career? Yeah. So gosh, I, I've made a lot of bumps and mistakes over the years. And what's interesting is over those years, anytime I made a mistake or anytime I wasn't happy at work, I always had about a million excuses or reasons why it was other people's faults, never trying to look at what could I do differently. And then, you know, taking in the aspect of really, truly not taking anything personal um, within the company, within the way people talk to you. I mean, a really big thing is words are words. They can't hurt you. Words are only hurt you if you let them hurt you. And, and truly like, you know, when you're in a company and you're going to have employees who say you are a terrible leader, you're going to have employees who say that you are a bad person, no matter how much you care about those employees and no matter how much you care about how they're doing in their lives, there are still going to be people who say stuff. And if, if you let those words hurt you and break you down, like mentally as a leader, like you can, you're just not going to be able to last. It's going to tear you apart, especially the, the bigger the company, the more naysayers they're going to be within an organization. And so I think something that always I plugged away with is try to make, you know, 200 employees happy. And, and that's a really hard struggle. Right. And that's so impossible. just realizing, yeah. So just realizing that as you grow and as you have that, just go, go with the aspect of, am I doing what I believe in? Am I doing something that makes me happy? And knowing that those two things are good, I believe in it and it makes me happy, then great. I'm going to keep focusing and I can't take offense to things that are said to me, words that are used on me and, and just be happy. And I think with that mindset, I would have probably been so much happier over the last 10 years of my career versus there were so many years that I was like, why am I in leadership? Like, this is terrible. Like, this is so hard. <laughs> it's a rough <laughs> so, ride. Yeah. So I think I would have had a total, it would have been a total different ride if, uh, if I'd had that open mindset for sure. That's awesome. Guy, um, Guy Barry, the COO for Redirect Health. Thanks very much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Good luck next year. All right. You too. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.